The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 46, The Haunted Pompeii House, Part 1. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all your restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. A historic home in Austin, Texas, originally built in the University of Texas campus area in the late 1800s, now sits nestled on a picturesque cliffside in far west Austin. Just stepping into this house, you can immediately sense it has stories to tell, and possibly spirits wanting to tell them. Kevin, a local musician, and his wife Sherry, a realtor, truly felt they had found their dream home when they purchased the historic Pompeii house in 2017. However, upon moving in in 2018, they quickly realized they were not alone. Dozens of faces seemingly peering from bookshelves, shadow figures standing in the doorways, sightings of what the owners believed to be a little girl named Sarah, and even a disembodied voice captured on a studio recording of a song have all led Kevin, Sherry, and their now six-year-old daughter to seek answers. Join us, the Night Owl team, as we embark on a new paranormal adventure, this one at a home built in 1887 that's had a long, colorful history. Stay tuned. A very special thank you goes out to Microdose for their continued support of this show. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code NIGHTOWL to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Another big thank you goes out to AG1 for their ongoing support of the show. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, go to drinkag1.com slash night owl. Okay, night owls, not too many announcements this episode, but wanted to share a couple of things. First off, our new vintage souvenir tees and long sleeve stay rest shirts are in. Pre-orders shipped out on December 19th, so fingers crossed some make it to those who pre-ordered in time for the holiday. With these two designs, however, I wanted to have more of these on hand since they were both fantastic and I love the quality of the vintage soft wash tee and the long sleeve tee. So I'm very happy to announce we have both these products available to order on our online shop at thenightowlpodcast.com. Secondly, we had an amazing haunted evening at the clay pit at the end of November. We even had some eerie things caught on camera that I'll be posting to our Patreon page from this night. But good news, we will be offering more evenings like this at the Clay Pit and possibly even some newer venues that we have not had events at yet, so stay tuned. It is the holiday season and I wanted to share a small gift to all my supporting patrons out there. Without you and your continued support, this indie podcast would cease to exist. Seriously. So for this holiday season, I'm gifting my patrons a special Christmas ghost story on Christmas Day. If you don't want to miss out on this extra special touching true ghost story, become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, gain access to tons of bonus content and perks like this, and support this indie show. Visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the night owl podcast. Lastly, 
The Night Owl is looking to work with a variety of individuals with varying types and levels of psychic mediumship abilities. We've seen a huge community of listeners come forward, informing us of their gifts. So if you're looking to use your gifts to help others and do it with a safe, respectful team, go to thenightowlpodcast.com and click on the Psychic Form tab. There's also a link to this tab in our bio on our Instagram page at the Night Owl Podcast. If you're interested in lending your abilities or want a place to hone your psychic skills safely, submit a form to us and we will consider you for a future case. Thank you, Night Owls. We're very excited to share the new places we'll be going to soon and hope to work with many new faces in the future. Almost a year ago, in January of 2023, I had gotten an email from a woman named Sherry, who was an avid listener of the show. Her and a large group of her friends were dying to have a private tour of Pioneer Farms, one of our former featured locations on the show, and she was just kindly asking if that could be something we could make happen. We stayed in touch via email to see what might work. Things actually ended up shaping up, and we secured a private tour for her and her friends for April 29th. However, prior to the upcoming tour, on January 22nd to be exact, Sherry decided to send me another email, this time to inform me of the home her and her husband Kevin had purchased in 2017. It was a home with quite a colorful history and was apparently very active, paranormally speaking. Sherry ended up sharing several documents with me that quickly piqued my interest. I sent these details about this unique historic home, which was called the Pompey House, to my father, our show historical researcher. Based on the history and the activity that Sherry was describing to me, I knew that I wanted to look into this place and their claims. It was a very busy time for me and for her, but eventually I was able to first arrange a call with Sherry's husband, Kevin, as he apparently was the person with the most experiences, a good knowledge of the history of the home, a little reserved to talk about them, Sherry admitted, but he was willing to give it a shot. So on March 3rd of 2023, I lit up a cigar on my back patio, put my earbuds in, and gave Kevin a ring. My name is Kevin, and I'm a musician in Austin, Texas. My wife, Sherry, is a realtor, and this story happened because we bought this house that was built in 1887. We've been living here, I think it's been about six years, maybe five or six years. And the house has a lot of history, which I know that I'm not going to go fully into, but a lot of creatives have lived here, writers. It was a saloon at some point. It was a schoolhouse at some point. And I think the thing that it was mostly was a boarding house. And it used to be on 22nd Street in Nueces, which is uh, was on the UT campus. It was moved out of there, I think around 1975, by the the man who bought it. His name was John Miller Morris, and he was a writer and a professor. So that's kind of the scope of the story of the house. And he wrote a book about the house before he died. He died in his 50s of a heart attack, and he was a professor at UTSA, University of Texas in San Antonio. And he didn't die in the house. He died, I think, driving back and forth, one, which one, one way or the other. But he was obsessed with the house. So he, so he moved it in the 70s to one location, and that was kind of out here in West Austin and kind of in the hill country. And then he moved it again 
1985 to this location, which is kind of out here too. And so when we got into the house and saw it, we walked into the front room, which is the parlor. And it has about, it's like 15 feet ceilings, bookshelves from floor to ceiling and filled with books. The whole house had at least 15 bookshelves. All of his stuff, all of his lesson plans from when he was a professor and he taught Slavic languages. I think he taught English too. Something else like Texas history and kind of a maybe mineralogy or I can't think of what that's called. But uh, so he was a very well-rounded type person and he was a writer. So when we walked into this parlor, when we were checking out the house, we were like, it had a feeling and it had a, you got a very strong feeling from this particular room, very kind of magical room. But when we walked in the house with this, there was a lady named Donna who was the realtor, an older kind of hippie Austin lady, real sweet lady. We stepped into the door and she goes, a lot of problems with this place. Like uh, there are raccoons living upstairs. Nature had taken over and it was in disrepair. So we kind of thought, we'll check it out. I noticed when we walked in immediately, I looked back and I saw a big poster that was framed. And it said, Barnes and Noble presents John Miller Morris. And then I had a picture of a book that was his book that he wrote called El Llano Estacado. He had written it probably in the 90s, I I think, maybe 2000s. And I knew about this book because my aunt has had a ranch or still has a ranch out in a town called Crosbyton, Texas. And it's the location where uh, Quanta Parker and the Comanches had one of their last battles with the United States Army. And so I had gone out there kind of, you know, around that year or the year before and was really intrigued with that area. And one of the cowboys out there, a young fella named Braden, told me, man, you got to check out this book, Eliano Estacado. The whole history of this place, he kind of tuned me into it. So I bought the book and read it. So when I walked into this house, there it was. Right there was the poster of that book about my aunt's ranch. And I just got a f- immediate feeling of what is this place? And it was immediately calling. Something stood out, obviously. So that was kind of the magic of it. And we were debating how are we going to get this place fixed up. But ended up being a project, but it was fun and it was good. Once we bought the house and once we started kind of fixing it up and getting into it, like I said, all of his stuff was here. When he died, his wife uh, had left him and I think divorced him because he kind of got obsessive with this house. And he was a writer too, which... um I think writers can be obsessive and stay up late and go down the wormhole and maybe uh, have a hard time with being practical in some senses. But anyway, that's just my speculation. So I started doing a deep dive because all of his stuff was here. I found an old love letter from the 60s to a woman who it was closed. He never sent it. So I opened it up and read it. It was pretty intense and looked through his lesson stuff. And really what he did was he recorded all of the history of this house from the time he lived there until he died. But then also he went back and recorded the history of this house and found nearly every incarnation. I think that he could, but there were many incarnations of it, like I said. And he went all the way back to the original owner, whose name was Pompey. I'm not sure if it's Pompey or Pompey, but it's P-O-M-P-E-E. And he, that man was a wheelwright, and 
So he gets into all this, and I'm not going to go deep down that because that's an, it's a fascinating story, but there's a lot to it. Um, one of the more notable things is that when it was a boarding house, there was a famous writer, Walter Prescott Webb, who lived here, and he was a historian. You, and people might know him if they go to, ever go to Barton Springs School. There's a uh, J. Frank Doby, Walter Webb, and the other fellow Betacek. And there, there's a statue of them all sitting around in their trunks, philosophizing. And so Walter Webb was the historian of that crew, but he lived here and when he went to UT. And that's interesting to the story because previous to John Miller Morris's book, Eliano Estacado, there was a book by Walter Webb, which was also about that area called Llano Estacado, which is in the panhandle of Texas. I didn't mention that. Walter Webb kind of wrote the end-all, be-all book about that area. And then years and years later, John Miller Morris came back to that and kind of touched it up and did his own version of it. So piecing all this together, I kind of got an impression of who this man was, John Miller Morris, and what a fascinating individual he was. He obviously wanted to live here and refurbish the house and get it the closest he could get it to its original state because of things like Walter Webb, knowing he lived here. So I got totally immersed with the history of the house, with who is this man, John Morris. I would say the main thing about John Morris was he was obsessed with Native American culture. He wanted to find the first tribe that called themselves Texans. And he, I think he found it, and they were called the Teos, T-E-Y-A-S. And that's kind of where that came from. So anyway, I, I've always been speculating, who is this man? And because he's moved the house from the UT campus, and then he moved it somewhere else, I always wondered, why did he move it a third time? And in the book he wrote about the house, he says it was because of development. But in my mind, I was thinking, he could have moved it anywhere. And when this street was, in 1985, the street I'm on, right now there's, I don't know how many houses, 50 to 70 houses. Back then, he was the second house here. So he could have put it anywhere in this area that he wanted. And just recently, I started thinking, I am, I wonder if he put this house here because he knew either A, there was some kind of Native American history here, or if he wanted to explore if, you know, if, if there was, if he didn't know if there was, if he was just guessing, maybe there was, he wanted to explore it because it's an acre and a quarter and it's on a canyon and all around the area, he built these paths out of stone and cedar. When you go down into the canyon, just from kind of knowing a little bit about Native American culture in Texas, there's a little cutaway area where if you get in there, no one can see you and it's really still and quiet. And the first time I went down there, I thought, this is it. This is exactly where, if you were a tribe, you'd go, this is where we're going to hang out. This is where we're going to camp out. The women and children can be safe down here. And then you get up on the cannon and you have a very direct view of any intruders or any animals. Or It's just a very safe and kind of a protected area. So things like that, I just started wondering. I'm a musician and I record my music at home and I've recorded all of my music in this house, in this parlor. And so 
when we moved in, I had written about 20 songs and was ready to record them. I do it on a little tape, on an old tape machine, and I set it all up in the parlor. And I usually do it at night because that's when everyone's asleep. So we moved in, and I was ready to do the first recording in this house. And the room sounds incredible. The feeling in here is incredible. So I was very excited. And this was my first experience with the spirits here. So I got everything set up and I had all the songs ready. I had my guitar mic'd up and I had my vocal mic and I hit record and I had my headphones on and I closed my eyes and I started playing the song. As soon as I closed my eyes out of the walls, out of the bookshelves, all around me, at least 50 faces popped out and not really a discernible face just the presence of like 50 different individuals and it really felt it was similar to a feeling of being in an old theater or an ancient greek theater or something like that where the seats are kind of at an angle they go up it just had a feeling like nothing was there i closed my eyes and all of a sudden you could just they all kind of came close and that was very eerie but it was also very intense in a good way it made me it made my performance different and it made me feel like there is some magic here and i don't i didn't know what it was it freaked definitely freaked me out but it also made me think they're here they they're interested and they want to listen so whatever that presence was and who you know whoever all those people were whatever that feeling was it was i liked it i thought it was good so that was the first one and since we've been living here, there have been various other presences. When I was in here one night listening to music and I was staying up and I do that a lot, I was closing my eyes and kind of relaxing and I could feel the energy of what was either like a dog or a little kid just running around the room. And it, that kind of startled me, but it was also the same thing where it wasn't scary. It was just kind of like, someone's in here, I can feel it. and I was always kind of feeling that in certain rooms. Stomach drops, someone's in here. So that was happening that night, and we have a lot of records, so I was putting the records back in certain places and standing them up against, you know, the bookshelf, and they just kept falling off and, and falling down, sliding, which is natural, and I didn't think anything of it. And then the second time I went back to it, I put it up, you know, more carefully, walked away, it falls immediately. This went on for about three or four different times and it was this kind of playful thing where I was it's like something a kid would do where you would think I don't know I get it kid They're, you're messing with me just cut it out so that was the first time I felt that individual spirit I will say this that I guess that that had happened and then I spoke with the medium this is in 2021 and when I spoke with her she had a lot to say about and I guess it's fair to say that Sherry, my wife, and I both speak to mediums semi-regularly, just depending on what's going on. So we're used to that stuff, and it's always interesting. I've never had a medium talk about the house or people, spirits in the house. Usually it's about deceased family members, things like that. So I have the, my notes from, and this is Monday, January 4th, 2021 at 1130, when I was talking to her. And it kind of goes through just stuff about family and, I don't know, kind of typical medium stuff. And then she says, a child died here. She said her name is Sarah, and she died by falling. She said, spirits are all over this land. 
And she said there was someone, I assumed she was saying a teacher, but someone named Miss Lizzie Elizabeth. And she had five to 12 kids. So that does line up with the history of the house being a schoolhouse. And then she said the souls around here are between 16 and 24 years old. And then she said there's an old cemetery out in the woods. And I had never heard of that or thought of that. But there was a man that lived here who was the roommate of John Morris. And he's come over to the house and spoken with us and said, John found a skull down in the canyon one time. That's something that lined up that I, I was interested in. And I guess really doing this with you was interesting to me because uh, there's all these weird things that it would be kind of cool if we could figure it out. So the schoolhouse thing, the little girl named Sarah, and the cemetery, that's what the medium said, and that was in 2021. And the only experience really that I had had with the little girl was that one time in the parlor with the records falling over and going, that feels like a kid that's just running around trying to get my attention. But then after that medium reading, I started noticing more of a presence of this little girl. And it wasn't happening in the parlor. It was happening in the doorway to our kitchen. And right in that doorway, my daughter is six. And for the past two years, she's been running through that doorway. And it's happened at least five or six times, maybe more, where she's running through that doorway and she'll trip and she'll fall. And she'll usually hurt herself pretty bad. And the last time she did it, she nearly went head first into the corner of the table. And I've seen it happen a number of times and it never, she's stubbing her toe on something, but it's just bizarre that that's the area, like it's bizarre that it's always happening right there. That little area was always like, I always wondered if that was maybe, you know, it had something to do with the little girl. Well, then one day I was sitting and I sit in this main room and I have a typewriter and I type my music and my whatever kind of poetry music on the typewriter. And I looked over and I could kind of see a short childlike, not apparition, but kind of like the impression of a person right there. And that was the first time I actually visually saw something in the house. And I think that it was a little girl. So we've been keeping an eye on that kind of thing. And, and when I can sense her, it's usually the feeling of like a prankster kind of feeling, kind of creepy, but also not scary, more just kind of like, okay, this is annoying. Would you just please go away? So, and I've noticed that I feel her presence most times around my daughter's birthday, around Christmas, around Halloween, when there's presents out, when there's kids coming over, and when it's kind of like an event that a child might get excited about. And that's kind of when the activity with her, this spirit kind of becomes present. One other story that had happened with her was I was going to bed and I had grabbed the doorknob to close the door behind me. And I don't know if you can, it's hard to describe, but if you grab a doorknob that's turning, a lot of times when it's night, I'll turn the doorknob so that when you shut the door, it doesn't make a slam. It You can kind of quietly and easily let go of the doorknob while you're pulling it in so it doesn't make a lot of noise. So I went to grab the doorknob. I had just kind of felt, okay, I feel her. 
went to grab the doorknob and I turned it. And on the other end of the doorknob, I felt a pressure like someone was holding it. And these doorknobs aren't sticky. I've never had that happen again. The only way I can describe that is if someone is on the other end holding it when you try and turn it and then you feel this resistance that's human. And it really, that really freaked me out. And that was a really prankster-ish kind of thing where I feel like she was going, I'm here and I'm messing with you. Like she made me feel her kind of little present. So that was really eerie. And whenever that kind of thing happens, I get, I'll usually talk to them and just go, okay, please leave me alone. I'm just trying to do my thing. If I'm typing, if I'm doing music, just please leave me alone. Just let me finish this and then you can come out and do whatever you want. The little girl, Sarah, I think she trips my daughter. I think she is a mischievous kind of little spirit. And she's appeared once. And then I, there was another time I was doing the dishes and I looked over and I saw white kind of like leg stockings, like um, socks, kind of like long socks. Just out of the corner of my eye, like a little girl running, but just the, just her legs. And we have a white cat. So I thought, okay, it's just the cat. And I immediately went downstairs to see if the cat was down there and he was sleeping. So I was like, that wasn't the cat. And that's the second time I think I've seen the spirit. For me, I've always kind of said to these spirits, I don't care if you're here. I just don't want to see you. And it's getting more and more, I think, intense to the point to where first I could, I could feel her. I could sense her. Then she's kind of interacting. And then I saw kind of a apparition type thing. And then I saw a really clear kind of image of what I thought were her stockings. So it's getting more intense. And that's kind of why we reached out, trying to reach out to someone to come here and maybe try and clear it up just because I don't want them to physically harm my kid. And really, I'm kind of annoyed with this kid. So she needs to get out of here probably. Or just cut it out. She can hang out, but she needs to cut it out. Kevin had actually opened up a lot more than I had expected. I was really impressed with the knowledge that he had on the home's history. But even more fascinating was how much he let me in on how he felt things in his home. He seemed to sense a lot. More than your average person will admit sometimes when you're investigating their haunted home. But there was more he had to tell me. And after this short break... We'll hear the rest of what Kevin has to share about his experiences in this home, including one final experience that left him quite shaken. Stay tuned. This episode is sponsored by AG1. Visit drinkag1.com slash night owl and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. If I had to choose one word to describe why I love AG1 so much, that word would be simplicity. In this busy, hectic world that we live in, we need to find ways to uncomplicate our lives. And I have found that AG1 does just that for me. One simple scoop of AG1 delivers all the optimal amounts of the necessary nutrients I need to support my day-to-day whole body health. My one daily serving of AG1 in the morning eliminates the need for other supplements such as multivitamins, multiminerals, antioxidants, superfood blends, polynutrients, green blends, adaptogens, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and symbiotics. It's all in there, folks, and in one simple, easy, drinkable, foundational nutrition drink. 
Why not do like I did? Uncomplicate your life and take control of your own body's health with a simpler, more cost-effective supplement routine. One scoop, once a day, every day for all your nutritional needs. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash night owl. That's drinkag1.com slash night owl. Check it out. This episode is also sponsored by Microdose. Go to microdose.com and use code night owl to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Occasionally, life likes to throw a little curveball into my day-to-day existence. I'll be cruising along, performing the duties of my 9-to-5, working on the latest Night Owl episode, or maybe even gearing up for some upcoming speaking engagement, and something will happen that triggers an episode of anxiety or nervousness. It happens with me a lot, actually. With my super busy schedule, I just don't have time or the energy to deal with these surprise episodes that get in my way of being my most productive self. Microdose sent me some of their gummies to try, and though I originally tried them to see if they would help improve my sleep, and they certainly did, I have found that they also help me with my occasional bouts of anxiety. They calm me and bring me back into a more relaxed and focused frame of mind. My current two favorites are the higher dose THC indica strain. I'm loving the granddaddy sour flavor in this one. I take these right before bed to help me fall asleep and stay asleep throughout the whole night. And I also take the entry-level microdose wildberry flavor on days where my stress and anxiety is high, and I notice it helps me tremendously. Microdose THC gummies were created for people just like me, who want to bring that calmness and relaxation into their lives without actually getting high. Made from real fruit and absolutely organic, vegan-free, and gluten-free, these gummies can provide anxiety relief, boosted relaxation, better sleep, and mood enhancement. Why not give them a try to help you feel like the best you every day? To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code NIGHTOWL to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com, code NIGHTOWL. microdose.com, code NIGHTOWL for 30% off. The second spirit is this feeling of a man or maybe it's different men. And this one is where I think it's maybe the previous owner who lives here, John Morris, because I feel this spirit whenever I'm typing or writing or sitting in the office, which is where John Morris would work on his books and research and would fall asleep at the desk, according to his old roommate. According to his old roommate, he didn't really sleep in a bed. He just slept at his chair in this office, which is where I do a lot of work and a lot of writing and a lot of music. If it's nighttime and I'm sitting in the main room here and I'm typing, a lot of times I'll feel someone behind me and it's kind of a feeling of someone watching and judging from behind. But I also feel that it's someone trying to help because if I'm working on maybe a song and writing and I have the idea already intact and I'm just looking for the right word. Sometimes when that presence is behind me, I get this feeling of, okay, don't, don't mess this up. You got to make it good. And maybe don't give up. Don't put down just the first thing. Maybe really let's think about it. So it's almost like a helpful, helpful kind of feeling 
And the weird thing about this presence is there's a door to the office and there's just this creak that happens when it goes back. And it doesn't happen all the time, but every time it happens, I feel that presence that night. I've even tried to make it happen and I can't really do it intentionally, but it ha- it's when you open the door and you kind of let it drift. And when it gets to the end of its pitch, it'll just go. And it's the same every time. And as soon as I hear that, I go, oh, no. And that's when my guts drop and the room kind of gets eerie. And then again, I'll talk to him and go, I don't know what you're doing here. If you're here to help, that's great. But just let me finish what I'm doing and I'll get out of your hair. So I'm not sure what that is. That happens often. And I have seen an apparition of whatever I think that spirit is in both in both of the doorways. Uh, one in the office, there's two doors. One comes out to the main room and one goes into the bathroom where the shower is. And one time when I was taking a shower in that doorway, I saw a taller apparition that looked like a man. I believe it could be the guy who lives here. And I think if that's him, then he's coming around going, I like what you did with the place. Or maybe he's, you know, interested in what I'm working on or not sure. But same thing where it's, it's never a bad, icky feeling. It's just more of a kind of uncomfortable, unsettling feeling. The last spirit thing I'll talk about is kind of going back to the parlor and that audience thing that I felt. There's times when I have to do music work in here. I have a, I had kind of cleared out. There's an attic and we kicked out the, uh, we kicked out the attic and put some stairs to go up in the attic so I could have a little control center where the tape machine is. And that way there's not equipment down here all the time. So in the parlor, we have a, some couches and a record player and the books are everywhere on the shelves and records. And so we built this little staircase that goes up there to the attic. That way I could run cords down here and record people or record myself or whatever, because this room sounds great. But my wife didn't really want equipment just hanging, you know, laying around all the time. So sometimes I have to go up there to do mixes or to do whatever work I'm working on. And a lot of times I'll look into that room and I can just feel that there's something in there and I'll get a dreadful feeling of, I don't want to go in there tonight. And sometimes I don't have to. And on those nights I choose, I'm just going to do it tomorrow in the daytime. Because in the daytime, I never really feel anything here. It's just the nighttime. But I've noticed that in the parlor, it's not really like a person. It's more like a crowd. And it mainly happens whenever I'm recording live music. It's as if, if there were people here performing. I've had players come over, a fiddle player came over to do a session and the night before I went upstairs to get everything kind of set up so when she got here it was streamlined but that night was the I felt it more than any other night and I really had to I'll yell out I'll just go okay leave me alone I have to do this and then the next day she came in the afternoon and while I didn't really feel the spirit or anything that day I could almost sense they knew they were ready for the cut. They were ready for a show and they were kind of, it was an excitement kind of thing where I was getting ready. And, and then the next day I realized, Oh, they knew what was happening and they kind of were 
maybe trying to tell me like this. They are, hey, we're going to be here. We're going to be front and center, you know, because there was a magic when she was recording. It wasn't, I didn't feel any spirits or anything, but her performance did, it moved me to tears because it was a very, it just was a, she played really well, but also there's just a magic in this room. There's something different whenever people are performing and whenever people just walk in, musicians usually, they'll look around the room and go, oh yeah, 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 this is going to be good. The presence in this room is different and I almost think that this is kind of, this room is more of, has more of a portal is the way that I think about it because there's never one person or it's never a consistent thing and I guess I'll end it here with this story which was the most intense story and the most intense spiritual thing or uh, spirit involvement I've ever encountered. And this was a couple years ago. Sometimes I try and record people here. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy doing it. And a friend of mine, a local musician, was going through a tough time. His friend had just passed away. And it was like his best friend. They were musical compadres. He was working on some new material, some new songs. And I was playing some shows with him. And I said, man, the songs are really good. Got to record them. Let me record them. And so he said, okay, cool. Let's do it. And I said, well, I don't really, I'm not very technically proficient. And I'm also not very, sometimes I'm not very committed. I'll get bored easy. We decided to do it kind of loosely. And he came over in the day. We did some sessions in the daytime and it was fun. And we'd talk and he'd lay down the music and like I said, I would be upstairs running the computer or the tape machine, and then I'd have the mics down here, and he'd be singing. And with this session, he was just playing guitar and singing. So a couple sessions go by, and then he's and he says, okay, let's do one at night. So we kind of plan the next one for, we're doing a night session. It's just me and him. Everyone's in bed. The dogs are in their cages. Everyone's asleep. And when it's quiet around here, out here, it's kind of the, in the middle of the woods. So I'm up there, and he's working, he's getting ready to do uh, he finishes one song and I go, Hey, well, do that other one, do this one. And I didn't know what it was about, but it was about his friend who passed away. I think he mentioned it right before he recorded. He goes, I said, Oh, do that one, do that other one next. You got to do that one. You haven't done it yet. And he goes, Oh, well, that's, I won't say the guy's name, but he said, well, that's about Fred. And I go, Oh, wow. I didn't know that was about him. And I was like, okay, well, if you don't want to do it, that's okay. We can come back to it, but I just felt like this would be this is a good time to do it. He goes, no, no, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so I hit record, and he's going, he's working through it, and he finishes the take. About midway through the take, though, listening up there with headphones on, and he's down here with headphones on. About midway through the take, I hear something. And as someone who has recorded in this room, at that point I had done four albums in this room, so countless hours of sitting in silence with headphones on with just my instrument. I've never had anything happen like this, but in the middle of that recording, I heard a voice and it sounded like it was in a very specific part of the room next to the window. And I got immediately just got chilled and I let him finish the take and I let the last note ring out and I hit stop and I yelled down and said, Holy shit. Did you feel that? Did you hear that? And he didn't. And he said, God damn it, the microphone, it was slipping this whole time. You know, he kind of got mad. and he, So he was more concerned. He was like, that was a great take. And your goddamn microphone was falling. 
And then I kind of walked halfway down the stairs and I said, did you not hear that? And he goes, no, I didn't hear anything. And I go, okay. So I went back upstairs. We did another take and I think maybe one more. So there was like three takes. So then finally we're sit- I rewind the tape back and we're sitting there and he has his headphones down here and he's listening to the tape. He's sitting there rolling cigarettes and we're listening back. And usually you pick the best take. So we're listening back. We go to the first one and it gets to the middle part of the song. It gets to that part where I heard something and I stopped the tape and I yelled down, listen right here. And I hit play and it's just as clear as day. You can hear someone say something. And the way it worked out was in the song, the singer, the guy who wrote it, he's describing, you know, kind of the scene and the and kind of like the night of his friend's passing. And when you hear the voice in that recording, it's kind of that thing where when you're in class, the teacher's about to ask a question and someone raises their hand real quick. And before she can even ask the question, they answer the question. So it was one of those things where he was about to get to the the turn of phrase or the part in the song where he's about to make the rhyme and you hear someone yell it out before he gets there. Like almost as if he was like, I, I wrote that part. It's that word. And so I stopped the tape and I said, right before it happened, I said, listen to this, watch this. And as soon as he heard it, he kind of got emotional and he said, stop, stop everything. And he had to go home. We had to stop everything. We, I didn't even put the tape up. We left the room. We went outside and smoked a cigarette, talked about it. And he was like, I don't like what just happened. I need to go home now. And he drove home and I closed the doors and I couldn't go back in there. So then the next day when he came back, I was like, we're going to have to listen back to that. We're going to have to go back to it because first of all, it's what we were doing. We can't just abandon it. But I was like, it's daytime. It's a little less scary. So he was smoking a cigarette and I go, I'm just going to go up there. And I'm going to listen to it. And maybe it's not, maybe it wasn't even that bad. Maybe it's nothing. And I go up and I listen. There it is again. It's the same thing. And the weirdest part about it is it's the voice of our friend. I was friends with this guy too. I knew his voice and it sounds like his cadence. It sounds like something he'd say. It was, it just was so eerie. And so this, that day when, the artist came back. He, uh, he brought his deceased friend's jacket and he put, laid it on the couch and said, if he's going to be here, I'm bringing his favorite jacket. So he put the jacket down. And what ended up happening with that recording is he didn't use that one, but he, he, he was, he said, I want the tape. If you can give me the tape. So I, I gave him that tape and he wanted to own that because, and I don't, I understand why. I think there was a profound, it was a profound moment for him and for me. And it was a little, one of those things that, in all honesty, it was a little too much. It freaked me out and it was not as much scary as it was. I just didn't like it and it made me feel uncomfortable. And that's kind of where the session, we did one more and then it ended. And I told him he, he had to go somewhere else to finish it, which he did and he made a great record. And we're still friends and everything is good, but kind of because of that, it just made the whole setting a little different and it it was it was just very intense within that next week i had a dream that i was in the parlor with the deceased friend and we were listening back to the tape and my wife was bringing us and some snacks and i sat there with him in the dream and talked about the recording 
and he kind of told me, well, here's what you did wrong. You should have done this. You should have done that song like this. You should have added a guitar here. He was giving his in- input, which I've never had that happen either, where it was kind of a, a crazy experience, but then it followed up with a dream where that, then it kind of continued. That was the most intense thing that's happened in this house, and I haven't since felt that guy, that friend, I haven't felt his presence in here. I don't, and I think in a way it was, he was maybe following that fellow around and that's why he ended up here. But I do feel like this parlor has a very portal kind of feeling where it can easily, anyone can kind of easily pop up here. And so that ties into the whole thing where I wonder, is it about this land? You know, does it have to do with why John Morris put this house here in the first place? So I've got a lot of questions and I'd like to at least get this little girl out of here because she's really getting on my nerves. So I don't know if her name is Sarah and the medium gave me these names and I've tried to line it up with the book that John wrote and none of the names match the circumstances match. So there's a lot there. I don't know. That's kind of the long and short of it. I can't remember if you described it as a visual or if it was just a sense that you saw a bunch of faces or felt a bunch of faces in the right. room, in a particular room. Can you give me a little bit more detail about that occurrence? Like, just give me a little bit more to understand what exactly you felt or saw. When I was recording, and a lot of times when I'm recording, I close my eyes. You close your eyes just to kind of get into it. I never really have that feeling that someone's in there. Or that, you know, that someone's with you. But all of us have had that feeling where someone's in the room. I've never had the feeling where there's like 20 to 50 people in the room. And it was almost as if these faces were coming out of the bookshelf. All kind of intermittently, but at the same time, just kind of drifting out and coming toward me on in different levels, like from the floor all the way to the ceiling kind of all in a semicircle around me. They weren't necessarily, it wasn't like I saw any faces. It was more that it was figures. They were like heads, maybe. Just heads kind of drifting out. And I think I immediately opened my eyes just because it freaked me out. Now, visually, when I saw the little girl stalking, that was the first time I saw something. And I was like, that looks like when a little girl would be walking quickly across the room. Um, but other than that, the visual stuff that I've seen mostly is kind of like shadow, shadow people is the best way I could describe it. Well, where would you say the activity level is for you in the house? Is it something that's happening on the regular? Every other night, like every other night, it's every other night I can feel somebody in here. Yeah. Sometimes I just feel it, but almost nightly I can feel something or someone in this part of the house. Now, the thing is, the upstairs was from 1887. The downstairs, they had to build a kind of bottom to support because it's on a canyon. And that's that was made in the eight. That was 1985. Downstairs, there hasn't been a lot of activity, but there has been a couple times when, a, you know, there's been a couple moments downstairs. But when I'm up here and it's night, if I would say nine times out of ten, I'll feel something in any of the rooms where there's activity. What are the, the hot spots in the house? Like, can you name them off and describe those rooms to me? Totally. So the area where I've seen the little girl is 
in the door it's in a doorway and i guess the places where i've seen visual representation of these spirits it's always in a doorway um so the little girl i've seen in the doorway from the kitchen when you're in the main room when you walk into the house there's a living room with the dinner table and then there's two doors on the same wall one door goes to the kitchen and one door goes into the office that was John Morris's office. So the little girl I've always seen in that doorway looking into the kitchen. And then when I was doing the dishes, looking out of the kitchen into the, that room, that's when I saw the stockings. So I see her there and that's where my daughter trips always. Now on the other door in that same wall, there's another door that goes into his office. That's the area where I hear the door creaking and that's where I've seen a taller figure. And it's always like they're standing in the doorway. That's the, that's like a consistent thing. The parlor is a whole different thing. The parlor is kind of always a hot spot. Well, one thing I didn't mention that I kind of forgot to put in because yeah, I, I definitely feel that there's the little girl energy. The other thing that I, that it's definitely a male, a male energy. And I think one of them could be the guy who lived here. But when I spoke with the medium in 2021, she said something that intrigued me that I'd never thought about. She said, um, when she said, there's a lot of spirits on that land. I was like, oh yeah, wow, I never thought of that. And she goes, yeah, you gotta remember this. They don't, they don't know a house is there. So they're just walking in and out of your house without even knowing what, what, what's going on. And that makes sense because sometimes when I'm in here, it doesn't feel like a discernible presence that I know. It just feels like someone's walking in and out of here. It just feels like sometimes there's people or a person and maybe they don't even know. And they're wondering what I'm doing here just as much as I'm wondering what they're doing here. I 100% feel like this house has affected the way that I've created art and the way that I've written and kind of opened myself up to whatever's here or whoever is here. Learning all I had from Kevin regarding his unexplained experiences in the home, on top of the very special history of this house, I was eager to dive into this case fully with my team. Naturally, my next steps were going to be to try to interview Sherry, who originally reached out to me, then see if I could possibly interview their six-year-old daughter, Jolene. But April rolled around and I wasn't able to connect with Sherry yet for her interview. Before I knew it, the private tour at Pioneer Farms was coming up, so I figured I'd just touch base with her there. Following the incredible night out at the haunted farm, I checked in with Sherry and sadly learned that, as a family, they were having second thoughts on continuing to share their stories and decided to put a hold on us getting involved. This was tough to hear as I had begun documenting the case and researching the history already. But this kind of stuff happens, and I wasn't going to pressure them into doing anything that they felt uncomfortable doing. So I simply let it go. Six months went by, and I had completely forgotten about the Pompeii house. Until, on October 13th, 2023, I got a message on my phone from Sherry. Apparently, she saw something in the home the night prior, and was quite shaken by the experience. She needed to talk to me. So I quickly set aside some time and gave Sherry a call. While it's fresh on your mind, this happened last night, is that correct? Yeah, it happened last night, and 
I have never had a sighting in our house, kind of profound. It was just my daughter and I at home, and she's on vacation from school this week. So we went to bed in the same bed in our guest room, and we said our prayers, and we turned off the lights, and I went, oh, shoot, I got to... I don't have my water. I got to go upstairs and get some water. And so the house is all dark and I walked through the downstairs and I walked to the stairwell and I turned on the light and I started walking up the stairs and at the top of the stairs, I saw white stockinged feet. White stockinged feet just scurry as if almost as if I had found a, a kid playing hide-and-seek and they didn't want to be caught and it just ran. But it was just the feet. And I paused. I just thought, did I really see that? And then I remembered that my husband has talked about seeing these stalking feet and that he believes there's a child spirit in our house. And I went, oh, well, maybe, maybe that was her. Maybe I saw the same thing. We now had another eyewitness to the apparitions that supposedly haunt this historic home. Kevin wasn't alone in his experiences anymore. And now, both Sherry and Kevin were no longer having second thoughts about us getting involved. Now that Sherry had her very own sighting that corroborated Kevin's, they were ready for answers. And quite frankly, so was I. Join us as this paranormal investigation of the Pompeii House continues on January 29th in part two of this series. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast. And consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash thenightowlpodcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events. Stay restless out there. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. My dad Sam for his incredible historical research. Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode. Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. My partner Peyton for encouraging me every time the workload for this show weighs heavy on my shoulders and assisting on our investigations with photography. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. Do you have a song that could use a professional touch to get it across the finish line? Do you wish you could remove the sound of a loud air conditioner or distracting mouth noises from your podcast recording? Whatever your issue, David can repair and enhance your audio and help you achieve rich, full, professional sound at industry standard loudness levels. Quit struggling with audio engineering and get back to creating. To discuss your options, reach out to David at driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com, and set your creative self free.